This is Choni's Circle. I'm Tamara Lubicki. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose. And on Choni's Circle, we are going to explore Jewish texts from the Torah through the Talmud and lots of traditional commentaries to grapple with climate change, to help us process our emotions about climate change and about this particular moment, um, and to help us try to make sense of the world that we find ourselves in. We're going to be learning and thinking about animals today. And we'll start with a verse from Breshit from Genesis that comes shortly after the story of the flood. And it teaches, Every creature that lives shall be yours to eat. As with the green grasses, I give you all these. And this is actually the permission that's given to humanity to eat meat. So earlier with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, people are only given permission to eat the plants of the garden. And this is the first permission that's given after the flood to eat animals. And about that, Chiz Kuni, medieval commentator, teaches that... That's about, in some ways, repaying a debt, that since the animals were saved by the humans on the ark, in the ark that Noah made, they are hereby in your hands to do with them as is good and fit in your eyes. That Because Noah and his family saved the animals and took care of them on the ark, now they have permission to do with them as they see fit. So that's sort of one end of the spectrum of what this permission might mean, that sort of you have you have done your service, as it were, and fulfilled whatever responsibility you had towards animals, and now it's really up to you to decide what to do with them. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have an older text, actually, from the Midrash in Bereshit Rabbah. Our rabbis teach, even things that seem to you to be extraneous in this world, like flies, fleas, and mosquitoes, even these are part of the creation of the world. And the Holy Blessed One uses them all as emissaries, as messengers, even a snake, even a mosquito, even a frog. And I just really love this text because I think it is so easy to see those things, flies, snakes, frogs, mosquitoes, as hindrances or gross or like just kind of in the way. And I love the way that the text affirms that like, no, like everything was created. And while we might sometimes feel like we have the permission that Chis Kuni offers of like, you're human beings and you're in charge and like do with the animal world as you see fit, that I think Breshi Rabba serves as like a really important reminder and corrective that like we actually don't understand the whole picture. And that even if we find mosquitoes to just be, you know, vectors of disease and things that make us itch, that actually all of creation is like a really delicate ecosystem where everything plays its part. And it's not really up to us to decide what does and doesn't belong or to decide to do with God's creations as we see fit. Right. Yeah, I was surprised to see a mosquito mentioned in Breshi Raba. <laughs> Are there a lot of mosquito mentions? You know, it's a great question. 
No, there's not a ton of classical text about mosquitoes. I will say somewhat tangentially, and somebody can steal this idea from me, I have for a long time thought about a pipe dream of writing a children's book about the purpose of mosquitoes. One summer when I was working at overnight camp, I was sitting with a camper who was feeling really homesick. And we were sitting sort of outside of the bunk on the steps on the porch. And it was early evening um, when the mosquitoes are all out. And it was pretty unpleasant. We were getting like totally bitten up by mosquitoes. And so as she was talking to me and like crying a little bit, we were both like slapping our legs and our arms to try and kill the mosquitoes and like prevent them from biting us. And there was a lot of, a lot of motion. And it became really funny that we were like just trying to keep the bugs away as we were having this conversation. And that actually like created this opening for a little bit of like lightheartedness and joy. I don't think I've ever used the words mosquito and joy in the same sentence before. <laughs> But it sort of gave her the space to laugh and be playful and then be ready to sort of rejoin her friends and rejoin the activity, you know, and sort of like feel calmer and more comfortable. And I had never really appreciated mosquitoes before that moment. And truth be told, even today, I don't generally appreciate them particularly well. But it was this moment where I was really grateful for the presence of mosquitoes in a way that I had never been before or since. Is that the premise of the storybook? That's the storybook that I want to write. You yeah. just got the Cliff Notes version. Nice. Yeah, I have to say it. it's really interesting that they chose to put mosquitoes in here because I have often considered, could we possibly get rid of all mosquitoes? <laughs> and so, yeah, I've, I've heard a few different opinions about it. Like some people think like, yeah, we probably could get rid of the mosquitoes and things would be okay. And other people think, well, actually, like there are parts of the world where there are so many mosquitoes, they're actually like a vital source of food for other animals. Mm. So if you cut out the mosquitoes, maybe other animals would also start to go extinct um, because they wouldn't have that food source. So I just read something this morning about how the male mosquitoes actually even act as pollinators sometimes, which I wasn't aware of before. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, but it does does really call to this idea of the ecosystem being a really important thing that we need to think about and is often overlooked to our own detriment. To me, the story I've heard most as an American about ecosystems and harm that can happen if you don't really think about them is this idea of getting rid of the wolves, that we thought wolves are just all bad. They kill our cattle. They're scary. We don't need these wolves. We got rid of the wolves, and then the deer population got bigger and bigger and bigger. And if the deer population gets too big, it actually starts, like, overgrazing, overeating all the vegetation. And then you start to have less plants and trees, and then that starts to affect our climate as well. So it's pretty cool that they were already thinking about it back then, although it's not like explicitly talking right. about the ecosystem. It's just like, the, they are messengers of God. We'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I think that this text is actually like a really powerful call to humility. 
Hmm. That that we actually don't fully understand the world around us. And look, I'm not an environmental scientist, so I really don't fully understand <laughs> the world around us. But but no matter how learned we are or how much we study our environment, I think this is just an important reminder that actually there's something larger at play that's larger than any one of us and larger than our understanding. And so it's really easy for us to make assumptions about what is or isn't necessary or important. And I think this text reminds us that we actually don't have the full perspective to really be able to make those decisions. Right. Although we still have to make the decisions sometimes. Correct. Correct. We certainly still have to make some of those decisions, at least some of the time. But I think still, especially when it comes to ecosystems and preservation and things like that, it seems... I mean, again, speaking not as a scientist, but it seems like a pretty safe assumption in general that most things most of the time have a purpose. That even if we don't totally see what it is or totally understand how each piece of the ecosystem is interplaying with other pieces, I think too often humanity has assumed that things that we see as harmful or that are getting in our way don't belong or are not fulfilling some important function. And like you mentioned about the wolves, <laughs> too often we've then discovered in retrospect that we were wrong. Right. Right. Yeah. And another interesting argument that's sometimes made for preserving very specific ecosystems is we will find things here that will be very helpful to us as humans, like medicines mm-hmm. or chemicals that could be used for building or replacing other more harmful chemicals in the processes that we use. And if we destroy it completely, that we will never find these things. Mm -hmm. And yet if we leave it intact, we can study it and find things that are directly helpful to us. So I kind of, I don't know if I'm correct in reading this passage this way, but God uses these things as his messengers. It says, like, al yadei nahash. Like, unfortunately, the nahash doesn't have any yadayim anymore, but it's like, by the hands of the snake. Something is coming to us that's beneficial from the snake itself. Yeah. So that kind of, like, recalled that line of reasoning of preserving ecosystems. Another thing that I thought about while reading this Brashit Rabbah passage is there's also a related, I don't know if it's a Midrash or Talmudic passage about each leaf of grass has an angel behind it that's like pushing the grass. Right, that's telling it to grow. (laughs) Right. And I think seeing these spiritual forces or mystical forces or having stories about the interplay between these to me can actually help foster a sense of awe for the natural world. Like I don't think you need spirituality to experience awe, but there is something about that convergence that can really boost that feeling, I guess. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. It can be a really different experience to look at a grassy field and imagine that each blade is being cheered on by a divine messenger encouraging it to grow. Or Or, that the fleas in your kitchen or the fruit flies in your kitchen. Right. um, Right. Are actually 
created by God and somehow God's messengers in the world, right? That's that's just a really different way of experiencing reality than I think we default to. Right, right. And it's on the opposite side of the Chizkuni way of seeing the animals, maybe. I don't know. It's always interesting to have these opposing views in Judaism and the Talmud tries to be like, no, they're both right. Like, we can keep things that seem to oppose each other both in our minds, which I think is really cool, right? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting about the Chizkuni text is that the thing that gives you permission to sort of make your own decisions about what to do with the natural world is that you saved them. Mm. Right? So it's only through saving the entire animal kingdom that humanity then is given that permission. And so there's something, there's like a, even in the Chizkuni text, I think there's a little bit of a delicate dance Mm. of, yes, you do have permission and you do have power and you are going to make decisions about, you know, when to preserve things in the natural world and when to destroy them and when to allow animals to live and when to kill them. But you're only given that permission, as it were, like after proving yourselves, right? After showing that you can handle the responsibility of actually keeping all of these species alive. It's only at that point that that permission is given. Right. So it's almost like saying that in our generation, we are sort of the Noahs as well. It's a little more complicated because our whole society is Noah, not just one guy. (laughs) (laughs) So we don't have as much power. But this idea that not only is there this privilege in this Chizkuni explanation, there's also the responsibility. Like you have to keep saving the animals to have the power over them. And and I think ultimately, right, that's really about sustainability. Right. So. It's not that you can never kill animals or never derive benefit from them, but it's you do need to keep each species alive. Right. And obviously, you know, that conversation is a little bit different today than it would have been in the time of Breshit or even in the time of Chizkuni. But I do think that there that there is a kind of sustainability at the root of that permission. Right. It's not blanket permission to destroy all of the animals. It's permission to use them since you proved yourself by saving them. I'm Rabbi Paula Rose, the Associate Rabbi of Congregation Beth Shalom in Seattle. This podcast is a project of Congregation Beth Shalom and Ahavat Ve'avodat Adama, our community's environmental group. Choni's Circle was recorded in Seattle, Washington at Full Track Productions. It was produced by Tamara Labicki and Dave Dintenfass. With original music by Ella Labicki Feldman. Thanks for listening and learning with us.